If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, We are in the middle of a series called Restoration in the Church, in which we contemplate what it would look like for the dying church across the Western world to be restored, uh, to be the type of church that can withstand uh, the cultural tidal waves that are washing over the landscape right now, and perhaps even be there on the other side to see the renewal of the culture itself. Uh, As I stand here this morning, the vast majority of American pastors want to quit. Depending on which study you read, 80 to 90%, sometimes over 90%, are actively desiring, if not actively looking, for other work. Uh, We are living in a moment uh, not just of cultural pressure from the outside, but also of internal division. And many churches have ruptured and collapsed over the last two years. As of this moment, uh, some of the biggest, healthiest churches in our city are down 50, 60, in some cases 70% in terms of attendance and giving and compared to where they were two years ago. So for many, if not most, this is not a someday crisis that's slowly growing on the horizon. It is a right now crisis that the vast majority of churches in America are experiencing. Uh, What is the future of the Western church? And what would it look like for us to flourish in the months and years ahead. That's what we're contemplating through this series. We'll pick up this morning in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. In the context of this passage, Paul is speaking of a time that he previously visited the Thessalonians, and he's using these words. He says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we surrender to you in this moment, Lord. We want to look more like you over time, and we want our community to look more and more like the community that you intend over time as well. Lord, we live in an age of so much division, of so much uh, what anyone in Christian history would have called immaturity is now so often uh, accepted, if not even celebrated, within the church. Uh, What we now see as strength, uh, 2,000 years of church history would likely have seen as weakness. And so we need you to come, Lord, and speak to us, to wake us up, to connect us again with that long and unbroken chain of brothers and sisters that start with Mary Magdalene and Thomas and all of these people who were there to witness your resurrection and stretches right up to today. Uh, Lord, would you uh, connect us to them and connect us to yourself as we contemplate what this is actually supposed to look like and who we're actually supposed to be. Lord, there is so much in our culture right now uh, that can provoke us to anger or apathy. Lord, would you save us from both as we lean into you, lean into your kingdom, lean into your spirit in this place. It's the cry of our hearts that we would become uh, who you desire us to be. Would you come now, Holy Spirit, 
wake us up and shape us for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. John Wimber, leader of the Vineyard Church movement, went from cessationist to charismatic, from Christian skeptic to moving powerfully in the Spirit of God. He was, in my opinion, a dynamic speaker, a gifted evangelist, and he had an incredible gift of healing as well. Through his evangelism, thousands of people came to a saving uh, faith and knowledge of Christ. And through his healing ministry, thousands more were radically healed in the power of the Spirit. And dozens, if not hundreds, of churches were planted out of that movement right around the world. But when it came to building genuine church, Wimber had this to say. He said, people come to church for many reasons, but they stay for only one, relationship. Relationship or genuine friendship with others is the beating heart of the church. It may not be why people come. Notice what he said. People come for all sorts of reasons, uh, but it's the only reason people stay. It doesn't matter how dynamic the speaker is or how powerfully uh, the Spirit of God, what miracles are taking place uh, in that location or how many midweek ministries and opportunities a church offers. In the end, none of that matters. What matters in the end is friendship. Friendship is the glue that holds biblical communities together. The problem is that a number of factors in our culture historically are converging in this moment to make genuine friendship a very difficult thing. In order to have genuine friendship, at least three things should be present. First, there should be openness to one another. Second, there should be honesty. And third, there should be loyalty, some form of commitment to one another. And yet, there are layers of undercurrents in our culture that make this type of genuine friendship very difficult. For starters, we are human, which means we are descendants of Adam and Eve. And if you go back to the beginning and you look at the account of Adam and Eve in the garden and you look for those factors, you'll find uh, that Adam and Eve and God in the beginning, they enjoyed this incredible relationship uh, of openness, honesty, and loyalty. All of those things were present between the two of them and between them and God. But if you remember, for those of you who are familiar with the scriptures and that story, you know what happens. What happens is that Adam and Eve uh, take what they're not to take, and in doing so, they break loyalty with God. So loyalty is broken, that commitment to one another, uh, and the loyalty between Adam and Eve are broken. They turn on one another. Uh, they close themselves off on what we would call a spiritual, even emotional level. They close themselves off to God and one another. And they listen to dishonesty, sort of come under uh, the dishonest viewpoint 
of Satan in the garden, and in doing so, they become dishonest themselves. So all of these things that are present to, to foster genuine relationship are shattered. And so we have to recognize that we're human, that we descend from Adam and Eve, that we inherit their legacy before coming into the kingdom, that that's our starting point uh, before we, Jesus gets a hold of us. But we also live in a cultural moment here in the Western world that adds yet another a layer of difficulty when we strive after these things. If the first backdrop or undercurrent is the ancient story of being human in a broken world, disloyalty, closed hearts, dishonesty, then the second backdrop or layer or undercurrent that we're fighting against is that of consumerism and rampant individualism that we face in the Western world, the, the air that we breathe, the water uh, that we swim in. And those uh, consumeristic and individualistic sort of cultures and tendencies and ideologies have been growing for centuries in the Western world, but in the last hundred years in particular, they've kind of come into this fever pitch. We are the most individualistic, the most consumeristic culture that has ever existed in human history. To make matters worse, just over a decade ago, we added another layer in the form of the digital age, which has just been fuel on the fire. We had weaknesses that were there already, uh, and now they've kind of come into full bloom. The digital age really got going around 2007 to 2010, and it has exaggerated, accelerated our pre-existing weaknesses over the last decade or more. And finally, you've got the last two years, which have just been a joy uh, to live through, right? In which pandemic and politics and racial tension combined in an explosive way, uh, fracturing what was already fragile in many places. This is the world that we live in today. But notice that all of these combine to create a climate or a culture in which we naturally shy away from openness, honesty, and loyalty. Genuine friendship uh, is really hard. Uh, first off, because we're human, but then rampant individualism comes along and it whispers in our ear. It says, commit to nothing, belong to no one. And in the moment that we're living in, that's framed as being brave and courageous. Commit to nothing. Belong to no one. And so most people in our culture are committed only to themselves and potentially to the small sort of uh, niche digital tribe that they belong to. People who hate what they hate and dress just like they do, and think just like they do, and, and there might be some loyalty to that group as well. But if someone disagrees with you, uh, or wants to have a tough conversation, in our culture typically that means you disengage and you sort of retreat back into your safe space, into your little uh, digital community if you have one, or into isolation if you don't. 
We already were living in a time of sort of unprecedented broken relationships and broken families and isolation and individualism. But now, with the advent of the digital age, we are more isolated and lonely than ever before. The statistical majority of people in our country are now relating to one another primarily, if not exclusively, through apps and online media, which isn't real life. But that's the only way now that we're, that we're accustomed to relating to one another. And yet these platforms naturally encourage us to put up walls and to present a fake version of ourselves. The fig leaves of the garden have nothing on the digital platforms that we've created for ourselves today. We can now project false images and hide behind walls and nobody knows who we really are. Openness, honesty, vulnerability, and genuine connections with other human beings are more difficult to come by now than they ever have been. Now, you put all of this together, all of these tendencies and cultures and layers and undercurrents, and you apply that in the context of church, and what you get is a major crisis. You get a culture where no one is committed, where walls are up, where we define ourselves by what we're against, by what we hate, where we are afraid to commit, afraid to show our true selves, and afraid to be in an environment where people might disagree with us or challenge us or push back, confront us. We now live in a moment where we approach church and faith the way we would any other consumer enterprise. And we essentially say, I want a church that meets my needs, that makes me feel good, that doesn't challenge or correct me, that doesn't require much of me, and that agrees with me on every topic. And if someone doesn't agree with me on an issue, I'm out. And we might not say it that way out loud, but that's how we're operating as American Christians. And this creates a very divisive atmosphere in which thousands of pastors and leaders are burned out and looking for other jobs. They're out. They're done. Like They don't want to do it anymore. It's, it's created a toxic environment within the church. Uh, the church is on fire in this moment and not in the good way. It's on fire from within because of all of the angst and anger and division and shallowness and immaturity. People have lit it on fire. And you know what? The church can deal with cultural opposition and has for thousands of years. What's much harder to deal with is division within the church resulting from a lack of genuine friendship.
This is why 90% or more of pastors are burned out. They're done. And it's not all about the pastors or leaders, but you cannot expect a biblical community to be healthier than its leadership. Hence, we have a crisis in the church. And I want to start by saying that I am not currently looking for other work, okay? So deep breath in the room. That's not my announcement this morning. Uh, I personally feel very called to be here, and I enjoy serving in this way, in, in the way that God, I feel God is calling me to in this season. But I recently attended a pastor's conference in Portland, which is where my wife and I lived for years uh, before moving here. And in the process, I found myself uh, connecting with a bunch of old, uh, old friends and old pastors and people who I had served with years ago before we moved to Spokane. And everyone has the same questions, right? Oh my gosh, I haven't seen you for a few years. Like, how are things going? How's the church? Did you survive 2020 and beyond? Like, do you still have a church? Are you seeking psychological help? Like, how are you doing? Uh, and it was really, it really forced me to reflect, right? All of a sudden, all these people asking me, and I thought, I haven't really thought about that much. And so I was forced to reflect back over these last two years, and what a joy it's been to be a leader here in this community. And I was able to look people in the eye and say, you know what? We're good. Like 2020, 2021 have been very difficult. They've been very divisive. They've been very challenging. But as a community, I can honestly say we're doing really well. We haven't had the ruptures and and blow-ups that a lot of churches have had over the last year and a half. Uh, and I would guess, I honestly don't know because we don't really like talk about it. At least you guys don't talk about it to me, so maybe you've just left me in the dark. I honestly don't really know where we're at with most things, but I would guess we're about 50-50 on most issues that have caused awful division and, and tension and blow-ups and, and rupturing and collapses in a lot of churches. Just my hunch, I don't know for sure, but I would guess when it comes to, you know, should I vote and who should I vote for and should we all wear masks and should we all be vaccinated and, should we, and, and how do we bring justice to our country in, in terms of the racial division and tension, I would guess that we have a lot of different opinions but it's not about that. Uh, that. That hasn't become a point of division. It hasn't, hasn't ruptured the community that we have. And so I've been reflecting on that. Well, why is that? Why is it that I, I feel like I somehow dodged a bullet as a leader where so many leaders and pastors are like, I'm done. I never signed up for this. Like, I just want to preach the gospel and our church is just awful and divided and I get all this like horrible emails and all of this stuff, and I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm living in a, in a bubble or in another world. I haven't experienced that in our community. And so I've been forced to kind of wrestle with, well, why is that? Why, why have we been blessed in that sense as a community? And the first thing that I would say is that I think it's a matter of focus, and this isn't just from the front or from me as a leader, but I think for most of the individuals in our community, the focus is just on Jesus and the kingdom. 
Like it's not about that other stuff. That other stuff kind of falls to the background. Uh, the volume kind of comes down. And a lot of the things where the culture says, you should be talking about this. You should hate one another over this. This should dominate. And we're saying, no, no, no. Actually, it's about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And we're going to seek that first and we're going to get after that with everything that we've got and actually trust that in the process, a lot of other stuff's going to start falling into place. God's going to guide us along the way. So first off, it's a matter of focus. And if you lose that focus or you say, hey, actually, I'm going to let you know, Twitter and Facebook decide uh, who we are and what we should talk about and what we should divide over, then, then you're, you're heading closer and closer toward the edge of that cliff. Uh, but I think it's more than that. I think it's actually, there's something deeper and, and um, genuine that's happening within our community. And I think what most people are experiencing uh, through this community is genuine friendship. I think that's actually what's made the difference. And of course, the smaller the church, the easier that is to experience. Uh, it becomes less consumer and more relationally based. And so I think we've been blessed in that sense to be a smaller church over the last few years. Uh, but I think we're experiencing a community in which relationships are more important than issues. If there's genuine friendship and connection, then, then the storms that have just blasted the church over the last year and a half, they tend to blow over instead of slamming against. You experience the cultural storms in a different way. If it's based in genuine friendship. And, and I can honestly say that I place a higher value on the genuine friendships that I have in this room than I do on any cultural issue that's come up over the last year and a half. Voting, mass, racial tension, whatever it is, I actually get more life and care far more about the relationships in this room than I do about any particular side of any particular issue. I'm actually just really genuinely not interested in a lot of that other stuff or exactly which side and where did you sign and who did you, you know, whatever. It tends to become less important. And I would argue that if you look at the life of Jesus and the disciples, you actually see something very similar. If you just sort of uh, put on the blinders and look at just the 12 men who were, G who were, who were in Jesus' sort of inner circle, what you will find if you look at them, is an incredible diversity of sort of culture and thoughts and ideologies that conflicted sharply with one another. If you had been there and seen him select the 12 and you knew who they were, you might have cringed. You might have said, oh, no, 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 Jesus, I don't think you heard from the Father right on that one. Like, that is not a good crew. Like, this is not going to go well. Because they're too different. Ideologically, politically, culturally, they're just too different from one another. This is not going to go well. Uh, and my favorite example within the 12 is that you have Matthew, the tax collector, who sort of politically speaking is saying, I believe the best course of action 
is to live peacefully under Roman rule, kind of let the Romans do their thing and we'll do our thing as as the Israelites and the people of God. Uh, And in fact, I don't see any problem helping Caesar collect taxes from my my countrymen and and kind of helping to, to fund that arrangement. Like, that's totally fine. I actually think that's the best way to go. And then you have Simon the Zealot. And the Zealots were this group of people. They were sort of uh, militants. They would have been framed by the Roman government as the terrorists of their day. And they were known for carrying uh, knives or swords under their cloaks so that at any moment they would be ready for the call to violent revolution. Which means as soon as that trumpet blast sounds across the land, all the Zealots are pulling out their swords and knives and murdering people like Matthew, who they see as compromised, as in bed with Rome, as an extension of the oppressor. I don't think they sat next to each other at the first campfire. (laughs) But, but, their experience was one of Jesus and the kingdom. That was central, that was the focus, that became more important than their opinions or ideologies. And all of this happened in the context of genuine friendship. This was a movement based on friendship. Terry Virgo, reflecting on modern church culture, says it this way, He says, what a contrast we find in the New Testament where disciples are reclining at the table with Jesus and even leaning on one another, which is this very like intimate thing to do. What an atmosphere there must have been when those men were together. What laughter, what joy, what seriousness, what zeal, what excitement, what fun, what friendship. Next slide. He goes on, he says, I thank God for the red-hot zeal for Christ that I find in my friends. And I thank God for the times of riotous laughter we enjoy together, as well as the days of prayer and fasting. God has called us to be friends. Jesus called his disciples friends. Abraham, as well, was the friend of God. It is difficult to say anything more profound than that. And in a world hotly divided among so many lines, I would argue that kingdom friendship is just as profound today in this moment that we're living in as it was in Jesus' day. You see that in the life of his disciples. Something transcendent was happening among them. And then Jesus ascends and the New Testament church is born and you go reading into the New Testament and there's all this weird language we don't get about Jew and Gentile who were ethnically, religiously, culturally, politically completely different. The the difference between them was stunning. They would not associate with one another. In some cases, they would not talk to one another, and they certainly would never eat with one another or worship in the same place. 
it was unthinkable. And we read that and we're like, Jew, Gentile, I don't get that. We, we have a framework for understanding what they were going through. If you try and transport that into our day, for years I thought it was, I thought it was racial tension. I thought Jew and Gentile, they're ethnically different. And so what we're reading about in Scripture is this overcoming of, of racial ethnic boundaries. And certainly there is an element of that. But right now in this moment, I think it actually speaks more to our political boundaries than it does to our ethnic ones. If you look at the far left and the far right in our country, they can be racially very diverse, but politically there is no mixing allowed. You do not associate, you do, I will not eat a meal with someone from the opposite end of that spectrum. If you really want to, have, to, to see those Jew and Gentile verses come to life, I think in our day and age, we need to think about our, our political ideologies. And yet what happens in the wake of his resurrection as that went breaking out across the world, transcended. Political differences that are at least as steep as ours. I think this is part of our prophetic witness to a dying and divided world. People don't experience this anymore. People have less and less friends and less and less deep friendships, which means they're barely friends with people who think and act and look just like them, let alone the people who don't. You, you, you want to be a prophetic, biblical community in this moment? Be friends. Kingdom friendship. People don't, don't have genuine friendships anymore, don't even know how to form. In our digital age, we don't know how to form genuine friendships anymore. And that's with people who are like us. Perhaps this is our subversive revolution in, in the years and decades ahead. Be friends. Because in the words of Terry Virgo, relaxed and genuine friendships become the avenue through which we can finally build something of genuine worth. If you don't have that as the glue holding a biblical community together, then when the storms come, it breaks apart in the wind and the waves. It will not stand. It will not last. But if you build something on genuine friendship, the way that you face those storms completely changes. And you can build something of genuine, genuine worth, something that lasts through the years and decades ahead. And the biblical authors understood this. This was a problem in the early church that they had to address. This is why Paul laments. He said, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. If I had time, I would, I would unpack this. this. That's a whole sermon right there. A guardian is someone who watches over you in an impersonal way. 
Here's the information. It's, more, it's almost more transactional, more consumer-based. You can have 10,000 people leading the church in different ways and giving you information, but I lament over the fact that you do not have many fathers. In the verses that we read this morning, Paul said essentially, we, we nursed you like a mother nurses her baby. Some of you are moms in the room or even new moms. Just picture the intimacy that's involved in that. It's genuine, heartfelt connection. I, I'm giving of myself, which is what he goes on to say. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God in a consumer-based, transactional way, like a guardian would. That's not what we came to do. There, there are 10,000 of those. There are not many fathers in the faith. There are not many mothers in the faith. There is not, no, no, no. Instead, not only that, but we gave you our lives as well. You want to meditate on something this week? Think about what does it mean for me to give to give my life, not just information, but to give of myself. In, in another translation there, it said, we gave you our very selves. That's what a nursing mother would do. That's what a loving father who's reflective of our Father in heaven would do. This is the glue that is missing in so many churches. How could 50, 60, 70% just walk away? Just, I'm done. It's not even I'm staying home because there's a pandemic. It's I'm done, I'm out, I'm not giving, I'm not part of this community anymore. It's really easy to just walk away if you're not in genuine relationship. In places where there's no genuine relationship, they, they will divide and fracture and crumble in the waves that will continue to sweep across our culture. If they aren't building something that transcends consumer relationships. Someone who's really modeled this for me well, and we'll end with this, but someone who's modeled this for me well um, in, in my life personally is a man named Ray Lowe. Some of you in the room know Ray. Uh, I've been quoting Terry Virgo through the sermon. He was kind of one of Terry Virgo's like right-hand guys. They've been walking together for decades, sharing life together, uh, and Ray's been very influential in, the life, in my life and the life of this church. And one of the things that I immediately noticed about Ray that was so distinct and peculiar is how focused he was on relationship. He knows more about church history than anyone I've ever met, and he is more passionate about church history than anyone I've ever met. He has an incredibly well-developed theology, hours a day for decades of his life, serving the church 50 years, like the wealth of theology within that man is incredible, but it, it is not his knowledge of church history or his incredible theology that has shaped me and changed my life. It's friendship. It was his desire to, say, to just be present and build relationship and say, I want to be friends. And that's going to become the basis, the foundation for everything else. I've actually never talked with Ray 
about politics or mass or immunizations or any of that stuff. And I honestly don't really care what he thinks about that stuff. Not in a bad way. And I don't think he really cares. Like, it just doesn't matter. It's about something that's, that's deeper than that, that's richer than that. For, for Ray Lowe, the thing that stuck out to me is for, for him, sharing dinner and a glass of red wine or going out and, and playing golf together on a Friday afternoon, that, that's just as important for him as the Sunday sermon or the Wednesday night Bible study. It's just as important because he had this understanding, you know, this is about friendship. This is about relationship. And if we form that, we can weather any storm. We can build something of genuine and enduring worth. He understood and understands today that the church is not lacking guardians. What it's lacking is fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. That's, that's what we need. I can honestly say that he's changed my life because to quote Paul, he doesn't just come to give the gospel, he gives of his very self. The priority is relationship. You give of your very self, if we take on that same attitude and say, I want to in my biblical relationship with brothers and sisters and spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers and spiritual sons and daughters, I want to come with that same attitude. I want to give of my very self. I want to build relaxed and genuine friendship. And from there, we can go on to build stuff that will last. Churches that build on genuine friendship can rise above the cultural issues of their day and build something of enduring worth for the kingdom of God. But communities in which genuine relationship is absent or difficult or even impossible, they will break apart in the wind and the waves. It just won't last. It cannot last in the type of cultural storms that we're facing today. So the choice is ours. We can build something in the months and years ahead that is relationally based where there's openness, where there's honesty, where there's vulnerability, where there's loyalty, or we can shrink back into something less, something consumer-based, something that feels safe, something that's easy. But this is what our culture needs right now, and this is what we need as well. So I'll go ahead and invite the worship team back up. And what I want to do, I'll pray for us in a moment, but I want to create a few minutes of time and space for us to just sit and reflect. For some of you, that's just going to be kind of prayer and waiting on the Lord and listening. For some of that, it's going to be journaling um, or, or typing out notes or whatever and things that God is stirring in your heart. But I want us to think on these issues. I want us to answer these two questions. And if you only get to one of them, that's totally fine. This is just between you and the Lord. 
But I want you to, to ask these questions. One, am I open to building genuine relationships in Christ that involve those things? Openness, honesty, and loyalty. And you can ask as you sit in that, which of these is the easiest for me and which of these is the hardest for me? Okay, I'm guessing one or two of those are easy and one of them is really hard. So you can allow the Lord to start speaking. Why is it so hard for me to commit to others? What's my fear? Was it something in my past? Was it something I was, why is that so hard? Why is it so hard for me to just be honest and share? Whatever it is, just begin sort of wrestling with that before the Lord. And then the second question is, uh, who are specific people I feel called to grow with in the year ahead? This is our vision series. It's functioning as our vision series. So as we think about the year to come from this September to next September, when we kind of reset and recalibrate again, uh, who, who, who are you calling me to build with? Are there specific names, specific families, specific people within the church that you're saying, I, I want you to, to grow in this with that person, with that guy, with that girl, with that whoever specifically? So I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, sit in these questions for a few minutes. Lord, we invite you into this place and I recognize, uh, I don't know if there's been an easy teaching over the last three or four weeks but I recognize that this um, truly strikes a chord in many of us. Because uh, for some of us in the room, we've been shaped more by our ideologies and subcultures than we have by this biblical narrative, myself included. And so when we think about uh, walking together in unity and genuine friendship uh, as, as a prophetic and profound example to the lost culture around us, and a lot of us, Lord, if we're honest, we want to shrink back from this. We want to be in a place, there's that fleshly human craving to just be in a place where everybody already thinks and talks and dresses and, and looks like me. Lord, would we just repent of that this morning for the sake of your church? You died. It says you tore down. You, your body was broken so that you would tear down dividing walls of hostility between people. And yet in the moment that we're living in right now, Lord, please forgive us because we see it as virtue to build those walls up. And so we ask that you would come now. You would speak to us. Just, just tell us where to start, Lord. We can open the scripture and, and see what it can be and where, where it could end. But Lord, just, just whisper us to, to us this morning about where it could start. Because we want to be a community that transcends the racial divisions that we see in our culture. Lord, our heart breaks over that. We want to be a community that transcends the bitter and entrenched political divisions that exists in our culture, our heart breaks over that. Lord, whatever it is, we, we need to be, we need to be bigger than that. The world is starving for something more genuine and more profound. Lord, may, they, may we taste a little bit of that in here. Might that be something that grows and begins to characterize, mark this community. Lord, we open up our hearts to you now, our lives. We invite you to come as a loving Father and speak 
to us as individuals and lead us into this. Lead us deeper now into the kingdom. In Jesus' name.